Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Green Book Podcast. I am Lenny Murphy, your host. Uh, glad that you are here. Thanks for taking the time. And uh, thanks for taking the time to our guest today, Todd Hoskins, co-founder of My Take. Hi, Todd. Hi, Lenny. It's a pleasure to be a part of the program. It's a pleasure to have you. So I have watched My Take with interest for quite some time, but I don't think you and I have ever had a chance to uh, to chat. So... That is correct. We have been connected quite some time, and uh, we follow Green Book as well. So uh, this is an exciting to to get to actually converse. Uh, well, let's see if you think that when we're done. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but I appreciate the sentiment. I'm excited as well. So let's start with the easy stuff, uh, particularly for our audience, and tell us uh, a little bit about you and about my take. Sure. So I had nearly two decades of experience in the corporate world, and in in those experiences, I was able to run product management, brand marketing, a sales division, and ultimately be a CMO. So in in that space, I was able to understand the power of insights. And about 12 years ago, uh, me and uh, the fellow founder, Rich Armstrong, started MyTake. And so um, MyTake is located in Westboro, Massachusetts. And we are focused on market research online communities. We have a proprietary platform. Uh, we operate from SaaS all the way to full service and everything in between. And as I said, it's been 12 years and we're still rapidly growing, which is, which is great. We have a fantastic team, a great culture, and some uh, industry-leading customers, uh, both on the brand side and the market research side. And we really pride ourselves in innovation and continual improvement. That's what that's what my takes about. Okay, that's a, a great summary for any company to be able to say. One, you've been around for twelve years, and I think that's it's particularly interesting when you think about communities overall. So, at that timeline, uh, you've been there from about the inception of the uh, of the idea, right? You 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 have a competitor in uh, in Boston that <laughs> helped kind of define the industry. We won't won't name them. And several other companies that at least helped all converged at once with this idea that there is another way to leverage technology when more of a qualitative fashion, but with the efficiency of quantitative technology to offer deeper engagement with consumers in an ongoing way. And we've called that communities. We've called it MROCs, you know, uh, lots of different permutations. But the bottom line is a very different approach to engaging with consumers in uh, in an iterative dialogue to inform lots of different business issues. Uh, so, for there's my history lesson for the listeners who may not you know totally get get that. And my real point of that is is that we've seen a lot of companies come and go during that time. So, congratulations that not only are you you're still standing right, but growing. 
Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Lenny. And the interesting part of that was when we started in this space, uh, we didn't know there were competitors. So, <laughs> so, so we, we built out our, our platform and our processes really based on um, customers. And uh, we knew voice of customer was very powerful. And of course, we quickly found out there were competitors. But, but what really happened is I think it grew the overall interest in communities within market research. And so we never found that as a negative. In fact, it was very helpful to our growth. Well, and, you know, again, a little bit of a history lesson. I'm sure you know this, that even if for several years within the GRIT study, we had communities as an emerging method. And a few years ago, well, it's not an emerging method anymore, right? This is you know, an established methodology that had had reached critical mass from a usage standpoint across the industry. And we shifted it into this traditional bucket of solutions that folks use simply because it is so ubiquitous. And I'm sure that's been very good for business as well. Absolutely. Yeah, good, good. Well, let's, let's explore that for a little bit though. So how have you seen the market change in terms of adoption and new use cases for the community paradigm? Yes, I think we've seen, obviously, communities were very qualitative oriented at first, and the the number of of members in a community were quite small. And there was probably, because it was an emerging approach, there wasn't as much confidence in it within the marketplace. And then we've seen over time, of course, that has grown tremendously as much research has moved online. So one of the first elements, and I feel like that we took good advantage of this, was that the demand for larger community size and the ability to uh, filter the data and to segment. And, you know, all companies are looking to segment the marketplace. And so pretty early on, we put a lot of emphasis in the, the ability to scale and to, to have larger communities and provide the associated security with that. And so that's probably one of the, you know, the biggest enablers, I think, to communities going more widespread. And of course, then you suddenly you have this digital platform or hub, and it offers the opportunity to bring in all kinds of exciting and new research capabilities, like including statistics and infographics and online focus groups. And so it just becomes real exciting to have that hub or anchor of research within a company. Yeah, no, agreed. I've long thought that for, I don't necessarily believe that the community should be the hub for all business use cases. I think that there's there's certainly some areas of research that I that don't necessarily fit in that paradigm. But as a big chunk of it, right, is a major go-to tool for most organizations that absolutely is is a necessary tool in the toolbox, right? You need you need a hammer and a screwdriver and a wrench, right? <laughs> right. And you're you're one of those. <laughs> Actually, I'd say surveys are probably hammers. Um, the uh, <laughs> uh, what would a community be? Uh, we won't go down that that path. That's a great point, though, Lynn. We absolutely agree with that that point of view. Is while research communities can cover quite a bit of ground, uh, you obviously aren't doing brand awareness studies. There there are many specialties that are really important, and I think it's important for any researcher to when they're in an instance where the application doesn't perfectly fit to have partners. And I found the the research community being one that is not negative in competition, 
that we have partners and, and we all work together uh, to accomplish things. And so I think that's a really good aspect of, of this industry. So have you embraced the marketplace model, for lack of a better term, meaning where you've built your platform to be extensible, to be API driven with integrations into eye tracking or facial coding or into a survey platform? Has that been part of the strategy? Somewhat. I think if I compared us to some others, we've really tried to make ours as integrated as possible with our own, own technology. And we found that if you follow the data from the, from the creation of the, the activity all the way through analysis or reporting, the more that's integrated, the better off you are in terms of efficiencies, training, you know, understanding the capabilities, and then also making changes when, when customers come up with new opportunities to improve we, since we control the technology, we're, we're in a position to, to make those changes. So uh, to some degree, yes, but we also are, I think, relative to a lot of what's out there, we, we, we have a proprietary platform and we try to build in as much of our own technology as possible. Okay. So let's step back just for a minute before we get further. So you were a CMO. So obviously you were exposed to the power of insights and, and to the value of that. What drove you and, and Rich, your co-founder, to say, you know, we think this is really where there is an opportunity? And what, what was that conversation like early on to say, here's, here's how we're, we're going to build a business focused on this? Yeah, it's kind of fun to look back. So you, obviously, in the, in the roles of product development and marketing, you really lean on the voice of the customer, at least good companies do. And there were aspects of it that we had found frustrating. And, you know, some of that would be, it was almost more of a validation or a judging tool or early exploration. And there wouldn't always be budget for all the, the middle parts of all of the key milestones. And so you'd get to the end and it was like, well, I hope we did a good job because the research is coming out and we're getting ready to launch this product. When instead of that point of view, we wanted to bring a point of view of in, informing decision-making along the way. And so if you start looking at research as an integrated and continuous component instead of something done on a project or ad hoc basis. It's a real game changer for how you view it. So, so that was probably the, the big catalyst was, was that experience. Having gone through many cycles of product development and, and marketing launches and, and seeing really if, if insights are done correctly, it can really make the company um, have a stronger conviction and go faster because it's the one thing if you're working across whether it's products, sales, engineering, CEOs, board of directors, they're all going to argue over direction. But if you have the voice of the customer, if you have the data to back it up, you're going to have much more conviction as an organization. So we, that's that's how we wanted to help our, our customers. So as a buyer slash user of, of research, as a, a client internally, was there anything surprising in seeing how the sausage was really made once you came to the dark side of the, uh, <laughs> as a supplier? Thought, oh, wow, I didn't know that's how that worked. Uh, anything like that? Um, there were probably, probably some elements. If, if you think about how uh, on the client or buyer side, many times you're conditioned when you do get a chance to do research, you're trying to accomplish everything imaginable. You're pouring everything into one study and because you have so many needs, so many things you want to know. And it's, it's with some companies, it's not continuous. 
So I found that even when companies had access to a community where they could ask you know, questions every day or every week, there was still that, that bias towards long studies when they, that could really be broken up into pieces very easily. And so that's something we still battle with a little bit. But um, yeah, that was probably one of the, the biggest surprises of, you know, hey, you don't have to do that anymore. You, you, can, you can reach out on a consistent basis. So that's probably the biggest surprise. Yeah, the, the kitchen sink mentality. And we're all guilty of it, right? So even uh, grit, right? <laughs> we take a lot of flack. I'm like, oh my God, it's so long. And the, well, yeah, there's a lot we want to ask. But, but that, that actually, so let's talk about that for a minute, because I think the, we've explored trying to turn a community, develop a community for grit to make it a more iterative, ongoing you know, process. Researchers are really bad respondents. So engagement was terrible across that. And we realized, well, okay, we're still going to have to just do these big, long surveys twice a year because we can't get people to engage once a month. So, and obviously communities are focused on engagement. So is there anything that you've learned from, particularly from a, with a background in marketing, is there a secret sauce that you're able to help your clients with to say, look, this is how you build engagement with the population within the community and, you know, do these things or else it's not going to work because, you know, churn, et cetera, et cetera. Is there some, some magic that you've learned from a marketing perspective that has helped inform my takes, go to market strategy in helping clients with that? Yeah. I, I think one thing is to move it beyond the abstract level or the contractual level is to understand that, you know, community is a relationship. And there needs to be respect there and giving back. And, you know, of course, incentives play some some role, but more of a minor role. It's more about like respect and giving them the opportunity and recognizing them for their contribution and also doing sharebacks. We use infographics to do that a lot is to make them feel a part of the process on things that aren't confidential. Shareback how their information, members of the community help make decisions with the company. So I think reminding reminding them of the respect is this the communities are really powerful and a, and a great asset to have but but you have to 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 feed that asset a little bit with with respect and it's amazing what community members will do and their participation levels as long as that's in place yeah i couldn't agree more yeah i think that's a lesson that the broader industry needs to take as well you know with the value proposition of respondents as a whole, right? It doesn't matter what the form factor is, what the, the, the engagement mechanism is, the survey at the focus group, the community, that that respect and fair value exchange, uh, I think is something that we, we need to take a good, hard, long look at. And companies like my take, I think are, can play a central role with that broader conversation for the industry because you have that experience and we know this works. Now it's just a question of how do you scale that? philosophy, uh, that position across the industry as a whole. So I hope that you'll be able to engage some of those broader conversations that are happening right now as well around a sample crisis that we actually, the rest of the industry is experiencing whether you are or not. Right. Absolutely. Um, It's a challenge uh, for the whole industry. We all need to be part of the solution. All right. So let's talk about the, the interesting, what I suspect is an interesting phenomenon in of 2020, right? So you, you build a good business, you're going along, 
And then, oh crap, right? The world changed. And what I've heard consistently from almost from everybody else, and I'm betting that you're going to say the same thing. Anyone who's played in the the big bucket of digital qual, and we'll we'll group communities in that for the moment, just for convenience, right? Suddenly got really busy and and really in demand because there was such a need for fast and effective engagement with consumers by brands to understand a rapidly changing situation. So was that true? Did did you guys, you may have been personally having this oh crap moment. And then at the business standpoint, having another type of oh crap moment, right? Of, whoa, we got to (laughs) grow and handle. Was that the case? Absolutely. And, you know, I'll start with first a, a, a footnote on the story kind of forgotten is that, of course, you're not in your office anymore. And so I, I won't really want to thank my, my team. They did phenomenal remote. And in fact, it changed our viewpoint on remote work considerably is how well they really flourished in that environment because the, the demand did go up considerably. And we, we happened by chance to be in our second version of, of video chat, which is online focus groups and IDI launched right before that. And so suddenly you know, customers who had just dabbled in that to the point because it was pretty new for communities, suddenly more than half were using online chat. So yeah, we saw the absolute uptick in demand and very much as you're describing, and you could see it in your in your personal life is by the, the number of orders from Amazon and the way we purchase goods and our path to purchase was changing radically. And so um we had an opportunity to really help customers to keep up, keep up with that change, to, to understand it. And um, we didn't really see companies, you know, it's easy when something like that happens to, for companies to become really conservative and cut back on everything, which I kind of expected that. And that's not at all what happened, at least in our case, is we saw more companies realizing, hey, this is a critical moment. We need to step up and understand what's going on with our customer. I think that's the story. At the time, we were doing a weekly roundtable with CEOs and both client and, and supplier side folks. And it was interesting of, that it was defined expectations at that time uh, of that sense of, well, wait a minute, you know, it's a recessionary, we're scared, we're going to you know, pull things back. And that wasn't what was happening. And I think that companies like, like my take and many others, not only did you help your clients in a time of need, help consumers in a time of need when they needed brands to change rapidly to address their needs as well. We need more, we need more toilet paper and we need it delivered, <laughs> right? <laughs> but that still just cracks me up as the best example of the <laughs> of that. But also to create change within the industry where we stepped up and earned our seat at the table Right? And whether we were doing that directly through this full service, with that, I know you guys offer the service component as well, or through the technology, we met a need just like Amazon did, right? In, in the world. Now, and I don't think that's appreciated as much. And it wasn't appreciated as much then. We're in the middle of it. But I want to go on record of saying I, I, I appreciate you and all of your all of your competitors. Anyway, I want to say thank you. Because you helped not just help your clients, you helped redefine the industry and put the industry in a much better position for growth in the future. Thank you. 
Yeah, there's my long-winded way of <laughs> saying something for a short thank you, humble thank you. <laughs> All right, let's talk about where you're going now. So you have recently launched a new tool that's My Take Experiences, a online UX tool. I think it's been really interesting watching the convergence of UX and MRX of you know insights and, and usability where they've been kind of separate for a long time. Was that something you just saw an opportunity or were your clients asking you to help bridge that gap? Yes. We, for our innovation, we, we basically have three sources, kind of our overall vision, which takes in a lot of inputs from the marketplace. And then there are our customers and then there are our internal users, our stakeholders that are doing the full service research. So I would say customers usually ends up being the biggest catalyst is listening very close to them. And that was the case with this as well. And and probably, you know, COVID played some role because the purchase path changed and online became even more important, important, both in terms of purchasing or researching a product. And so we wanted to add in an application or a feature that allowed our clients to really understand that path to purchase better. So this particular tool allows you to record the screen as uh, members of the community are given a task, which could be to, to navigate to a particular product or just evaluate a website. And then along the way, questions are interspersed throughout. And then consumers are also given the opportunity to provi- provide an audio narration of the whole process. And so uh, you end up with a report with Obviously, all of the responses, you end up with a transcript and you end up with videos of their path that they took within the website. And finally, there's a video editor. So very powerful. And, you know, I don't know if you found this, Lenny, but, you know, you can have a a large number of data points supporting things and the executives will certainly rely on that. But you can also have one very visual qualitative element that shows a real consumer speaking or acting, and that can be a real catalyst for understanding within an organization. And uh, I think that's another role that this kind of application plays is to kind of bring to life what the consumer is actually experiencing. Yeah. Uh, years ago, we were doing work, consulting work for J&J. Uh, and this was, gosh, probably 2012. And they defined a term internally of consumer closeness. And that's how they thought about communities, qualitative, ethnography, and they really invested a lot in understanding that walk a mile in their shoes. And I've seen more and more brands do that. Obviously, you know, I think the growth of, of community platforms of online qual is a part of that because of that power, right? Seeing somebody do something, hearing in their own words, this is their experience. It, it does have a unique capability to penetrate that data doesn't always have. There's no better way to tell the story than to hear somebody or see somebody tell the story versus just, you know, a transcript. So I, I commend you on that. So as you think about the future of, of my take, where do you see the development innovation efforts going next? Right? So you're, you're doing this emergence of, of path to purchase and UX what else? Yeah, we we really we view our our vision of our company is to be the most valued technology online community platform and service. 
And that doesn't necessarily mean being the largest. It means being the most valued with the clients that we're working with. And, you know, with uh, the roadmap is a big part of that is the, is the innovation that we're going to bring. And, you know, there are several areas that, that we're looking to, to bring innovation into. We're just releasing an, an activity deployment that automates kind of the whole activity creation process and follows it all the way through reporting we're doing some thing, the third version of a video chat, just because that's become so pervasive in use. We're doing some things on concept tracking and curation. We probably product development and new concept evaluation is probably the biggest area for communities, at least for us. And so uh, that's an acknowledgement of that. And then text analytics is a really important component. And we're gonna be going into our second version of AI text analytics. And there are varied needs in that area. And it has a big opportunity for efficiency's sake, uh, both for us internally and for our DIY customers. And the other areas in quality, and you kind of touched on this, quality of the data and quality of the membership. Uh, Using some AI and ML to really help us continue to refine that to make sure that we're giving high quality data back to our customers. So we're attacking a lot of, lot of, lot of areas, but, but we're really excited about it. That's all exciting stuff. So now that brings to the next question though, that we've, we've seen an explosion of companies that play in this broad arena. Again, if we segment them out, we can find specializations and niches for, for each of them. But for the moment, let's just call it online qual slash communities. And I would say almost all of them have a few basic things in common, right? It's table stakes to, to be able to do a few basic things. And some like you, they, they've really benefited from 2020. They, they've grown you know, quite a bit, are becoming fairly significant for this industry from a size standpoint. So what role does evaluating the competitive landscape and finding points of differentiation play within your strategy or you just heads down, you know what, we're just going to do what our clients ask us to do. I guess historically, largely head down, trying to understand what is possible with technology, understanding what customer needs are. Sometimes they can articulate them, sometimes they cannot. So there's a, there's a bit of a combination there. We do probably acknowledge and, and, and view our competitive set somewhat. And, you know, I would say... From our perspective, how we kind of look at it is, you know, there's companies that that want to be SaaS or DIY, and they're completely focused on that. And if, you know, if the customer wants something a little different, they're going to keep trying to pull them in that region because that's their DNA. And then there are companies that are pure consultancies, and they're doing everything in their power, maybe even passing on business to pull things in, in that direction. And I think my take is in a real interesting spot. We, we think we have the best technology platform, but we think we have a, a, a viewpoint on the marketplace in, in, in terms of flexibility of how we think, how we look at service. We're agnostic. We deliver SaaS and in that part of the market, we deliver full service. And we have many, many customers that are in the middle that choose certain services. It might be us administrating the community. It might be us programming the activities, but maybe they want to do the analysis. And so we don't really try to push a customer one way or the other. And it's ended up being really, really good positioning because I don't know if you've seen this, but many times 
customers love the idea of a community, but they don't quite know how they want to execute it initially. And so they could start out with a vision of being DIY at some point, but hey, we want your help initially. And that might change throughout the course of the relationship. And so I think that's one thing we do extremely well. We take a long-term view, client retention and uh, referral and expansion are our key metrics. And so we really help our customer understand what they want. And then we can usually, you know, we can deliver a solution somewhere along that continuum. Well, and I think that's where the industry is going as a whole, right? Across the board, whether it's quant qual, regardless. At, at, you know, we used to think of a dichotomy of tech versus service. There is not a dichotomy, right? It is a spectrum. And I think of it as tech-led, service-driven, service-led, tech-driven. And they, they kind of merge there in the middle. And the, the trend absolutely is across the board for, for companies to look more like what you're describing. Which So, you, so there may be more competitors <laughs> that are emerging <laughs> with that. Absolutely. But I, and I think what's been really interesting about that, that, that was demand for 2020, right? Uh, they needed stuff fast. You went to DIY, then you realized, oh, wait, we need somebody to help. Right. And so you saw the, the bounce back of service starting to emerge and that. But what was, I think, really interesting was in the capital markets last year, when before the rule of thumb was to be considered a SaaS platform and get a SaaS valuation, you know, 80% of the revenue had to be, you know, licensing based and, and something less than 20% was, was service based. And there were a few companies who managed to look different, Qualtrics, for example. And just how they defined service, it was really a business model, not a, a a business model definition change, not a functional change. It was still about fifty percent of service. But last year, we saw more companies that weren't trying to hide it, right? That were embracing that concept, getting good valuations for uh, either venture capital or for for acquisitions, and I think that helped tremendously for. The industry as a whole to realize that, you know, it's yeah, licensing revenue is great. It's important. You, you know, it, it helps pay the bills, and you know, but service is a requirement as well. And if you do it right, you can be the best of both worlds and have a great valuation as a company. Has that entered into your thinking as well? As you think about my take, and ultimately, you know, where do you go as a company? Have you had those signals that you're doing this right? And I'm betting you've had people knocking on the door and they're saying, yeah, we think you're doing it right too. Yeah. We get entities reaching out to us on a weekly basis and you perfectly described it, Lenny. Initially, what we saw were, were entities that were looking at our promise and wanting to push into SaaS more. Uh, what could this look like if it became a SaaS machine? But it's changed over the last 12 months or so. There's an acknowledgement of those professional services playing a key role and so, you know, there is a lot of interest. We talk to these entities because it's always good to, to understand the greater marketplace. We have no desire to change what we're doing. We've bootstrapped our company and we have no debt. We have no outside investors and we kind of like it that way. So no intention of changing at this point, but you always you always listen to what's going on in the, in the greater marketplace and you, you described exactly. And I think that's a really enlightened, I guess, capital market or whatever to realize or a lot of services that can be delivered in research uh, or a lot of technology rather 
that that needs some sort of service attached to it to operate as effectively as possible. Our clients are very busy. Uh, communities, in our example, is not the only thing that they're working on, and it's it's good to have strong professional services and inside help when needed. So let's probe on that for a minute because I, I agree, and I, I think Todd, you and I are in a little bit of a mutual admiration society um, at this point, right? We're, we're simpatico. But as you've scaled, as the, the demand has increased, again, there's been kind of this macro trend of the great resignation. And I'm hearing pretty consistently from a lot of companies that it is hard to keep up with the, there's a misalignment right now between access to staff and what they need due to business demand. So are you experiencing any of that? Are you, you seeing where it's hard to find good people? It's a big challenge, and I'm pretty proud of, of the way that we reacted to it. Not, 19 years in a corporate environment, it's, it's hard to, to change certain things quickly. But we realized during that COVID period that when people were talking about how they wanted to, to work and function, at first it was described around COVID issues, and later it was described more around how I want to live my life. And so we reacted rather quickly, and we are now one day in the office and four remote, which was a radical change, and we did it very quick. And I think that was the difference in us having very few people leave and having to replace a lot of our team. And so that recognition of what was important to our teammates who make this all possible. So that's one aspect of it that we've done to to um, to kind of counteract what's going on. And probably a, a very large part of my time is in recruitment because we need people to grow as well. And you have to act fast. It's like being in a hot real estate market. You know, you better bring your checkbook with you. So, you know, we, we have a, a very uh, thorough process where we have a test that's part of our interviewing process. And now we're trying to really streamline it as much, continue to do our tests, but do the interviewing process all within a few days and grab the talent that's out there because it's so important, you know, to service our clients and, and, and our growth. We have to be really good at that. Uh, agreed. We're, we're launching the next round of grit uh, here in a week. And those who take grit may not like hearing me say this, but we've added some questions, uh, <laughs> and, but it's on this topic uh, because we think, what we're hearing is it's, you know, it's another area that has to change just from a business standpoint. And a lot of people are struggling with it. So, so that's great feedback. So I want to be conscious of time for both you and for, for our listeners. So let's, let's start heading towards the wrap up. Tell me your vision for my take for the next five years. Where do you, what, what would you call success? If you can look back in five years and say, we've achieved this. Yeah. As, as I mentioned before primarily is to be the most valued technology platform and, and service provider. So we that I would encompass in that continual high growth rate, which we've we've enjoyed. And of course, the more you scale, the more difficult it becomes to continue with those percentages. So I think what will feed that is is really the robust innovation roadmap that I talked about is to just continually be delivering new capabilities so that the the researcher on the other end the client can't do without you you're indispensable so that's the that's the position that we want to be in and i think if we if we have that perspective and we're also helping our brands kind of 
work through this changing consumer right now and all of the issues they're facing, you know, they're, they're going to remember that. And, you know, that's a big part of our culture is, is we're built to handle surges. You know, we don't have a kind of an arrangement where you're constantly budget additions throughout the year. We're pretty much roll with the contract. And we know that there's going to be extreme surges where you need it. You know, I have kind of an expression they remember in November, those times that you've helped them out of particular jams and done the impossible. So we just want to keep delivering on that vision. And I know that's pretty broad, but it's another way of of keeping it really simple as well. Now, a little bit about here as we, we wrap up. Where do you find inspiration? What inspires you outside of the business? Because I know as a CEO, you'd say, well, my people, and I know all that's true, but outside of that, what inspires you? I'll, I'll shock you, Lenny, maybe one that will resonate with you. I'm going to go way back in time to Ted Turner. So I, I grew up in a, a very rural environment. And uh, when cable television and Ted Turner kind of brought the world to you, and that had an impression on me very early to take a bigger look at at life and to be, I guess, more bold in, in what you're attempting. And um, that, that kind of really carried with me watching all the things he did. I wouldn't at all compare myself to him, very different temperament and personality, but it made a very big impression and kind of opened up my world. And so that, that all, that one kind of sticks with me. Okay. So did you, do you uh, own a bison ranch out in Montana or? I do not, but there are probably some indirect results. I am a lifelong Atlanta Braves fan. I watch a lot of news and I ended up doing a second master's or starting one. I'm almost at the end now at Brown where Ted Turner actually went. So I I did find some, uh, some effects of that. Okay. Well, you know, then as a Braves fan now, I thought we were developing a good friendship and now we're best buddies. Now it's deep. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're a Braves fan, you, you know, the ups and the downs. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I go back to the hundred lost seasons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So where can folks find you and how do they find you and, or my take? Yes. You can find me on LinkedIn, Todd Hoskins. You could also email me directly. Todd at mytake.com, two D's and a hyphen between my take. And also we're, we're hiring, we're always hiring. And so um, you would probably see some positions posted as well. And we're an absolute wonderful culture. We, we have a great team. And so it's a great place, um, great place to work. Okay. Todd, thank you so much. Congratulations on all the success. I am sure that we will chat again. And, uh, you know, thanks for all that you do in helping to to drive the industry forward. I'm a big believer that the competition is good for the soul, particularly within a, in a business. And as you keep doing cool stuff, you're forcing everybody else to do cool stuff and that a rising tide floats all boats. So thank you. You are welcome. And we are huge fans of, of Green Book. And so we were very, very proud to be a part of this. Thank you. Well, thrilled to have you. All right. So that's all for this edition of the Green Book Podcast. Thank you to our guest, Todd. Thank you for uh, our listeners. We appreciate your time. As always, we know you have other stuff to do. So it's a privilege that you give a little bit of your attention to us. Until next time, this is Lenny Murphy saying goodbye. Talk to you soon.
Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transforming insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.